Open up your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. We started out uh, last week in a study of, of this book, and we made it like two verses in, I think. So we're flying. We're moving right along. I think we'll get two or three more verses down the road uh, today. But a, f- a few years or so ago, I made this like conscious decision that I wanted to intentionally, on purpose, make sure that every single Sunday... Uh, you hear a clear and simple gospel presentation when you come into church here. That, that without fail through uh, the music that we sing and through the sermons that I preach and through even through the prayers that Jim prays, you hear this gospel message over and over and over again. And some weeks it's super easy, right? Because we have baptisms, which are all about this great transformation that's happened through faith in Jesus Christ. And communions, at least one Sunday a month, I know, that I get to spend the whole time just talking about what Jesus has done uh, for us. But, but so, so uh, I don't, maybe, like maybe you've noticed, I don't know if you've, if you've heard over the last couple of years me talking about the fact that there's this holy, awesome, mighty, all-powerful God who has created everything out of nothing and who created us humans in His own image. But because of sin and rebellion, we've been cursed and estranged from God. And we face the consequences that God said that we would face, which is death. Spiritual separation from God. And, and, uh, an eternity in this place of pain and, and torment. Hell. And it's, it's this curse of sin and rebellion that's been passed down to all of us. And it's the reason why this world that we live in is so messed up. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And there is no one who is righteous, not even one. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, to come and live a perfect life. He came to suffer and to die to pay for our sins. His death atoned for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And simply through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven and we're cleansed and we're adopted into the family of God. Not because of any good works that we've done or anything that we've done to earn it, but solely through the completed work of Jesus. And the response on our part then is to acknowledge our sin and to repent and to ask God for forgiveness and to place our faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Does any of that sound familiar? Anything there ringing any bells? Hopefully you're like, you know, I've heard you say those kinds of things before. Uh, I think that we've heard that gospel over and over again so many times throughout the course of our lives as believers that sometimes it can just be like like background noise. Like, oh no, yeah, I already know that stuff. I'm, I'm already familiar with that. And Maybe we tune out a little bit. And I, and I know that the majority of you who come into church here every single Sunday, week after week, have already heard that gospel and you've responded to that gospel by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and you are saved and forgiven and sealed and headed for heaven. 
So then why, if most of you in here are already saved, do I think it's so important to remind you of the Gospel week after week after week? There's a couple different reasons. One is, I want us all to know the Gospel so well that we can clearly communicate it to others. I want you, whenever somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you're a Christian, what is this Christianity thing all about? What does it even mean? You could say, oh, I know this one, because that I remember that guy on Sunday always is talking about uh, the Gospel. I, I can tell you what it is, and then you'll be able to share with them those same themes of, of God and creation and fall and sin and sacrifice and redemption and forgiveness and heaven and just clearly and simply in plain language explain to them what God has done. Also, I recognize that not, not everybody who walks into church on a Sunday morning has had an opportunity to hear and respond to this Gospel. And, and I don't want to miss any opportunity that there might be. And so there are some evangelistic reasons why I feel like I need to communicate this gospel message over and over again. But it's also because I don't believe that the gospel just has saving power. It certainly does. But I also think that the gospel has sustaining power. I think it's also for us as believers who've been Christians for a long, long time, we need to hear and be reminded of this gospel on a regular basis. Because it's this gospel that reminds us who we are and who we belong to and where we're headed It's this gospel that gives us hope in dark times. It's this gospel that helps us to make sense out of this completely confusing and senseless world. It's this gospel that helps us know what we're supposed to do in this life. It's this gospel that gives us hope and encouragement and strength. It's this gospel that helps us to cling fast to Jesus Christ and and, and not let every wind of doctrine and idea blow us around in different places, but to stay true. It's this Gospel that sanctifies us, that makes us holy, that transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and I think it's, it's this reason that Peter includes uh, really a simple, straightforward Gospel message right at the beginning of his letter. He starts off with this beautiful, poetic, clear gospel presentation. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. In fact, I'm going to go all the way back to verse 1. It starts off with Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable 
and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh man, there is, there is so much, again, packed into those few verses. It's amazing how Peter, really, did you notice that that's just one sentence? How he's able to communicate the gospel in one, I mean, it's a run-on sentence and it's kind of long, but still, in one big sentence, he, he so clearly shares what salvation is all about and what God has done for us. I had originally wanted to preach all the way from three to nine and then realized I don't think I could do that without it being like a, like a two hour long sermon and you all get hungry pretty quick. So I, I split it up into two sections. Here, right off the bat, what Peter does is he gives glory to God. He starts with giving God glory. Really, this, this whole thing is a poem of thanksgiving and blessing to God. It's a song of praise for what God has accomplished for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be your name. This reminded me of that song that Revelation talks about that's being sung in heaven by this heavenly choir over and over again to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Jesus Himself taught us that when we pray, we start by giving God Glory. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it's recognizing that there is a God in heaven who has created everything and who is in control and who is sovereign and who is present with us. And this is an important starting point for the gospel. Because I've, I've found that, that most people, even if they don't fully understand Jesus or what He's done or, or Christianity, they would say that they believe in some kind of God. Because it doesn't make sense that all of this creation exists without there ever being a Creator. That, that seems illogical. And so a lot of times people are willing to say, yeah, there, there's probably a God, I just don't know what He's like. And that's where we get an opportunity to tell Him what God is like. That's, that's where Peter starts, by talking about this great and awesome and glorious and blessed God. So here, Paul, uh, Peter acknowledges that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is a, a straightforward, powerful affirmation of Jesus' deity. And it, and it kind of flows from the one that we saw last week in verse 2. Where again, Peter is writing this to people who've been scattered all over this different region, who, who were uh, resident aliens, who were chosen, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Again, you see there, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son are all given equal praise and all a part of our salvation. And the audience of Peter's day would have understood clearly this reference that he's making here 
to God as the Father of Jesus. Over in, over in John chapter 5, uh, the Pharisees are scolding Jesus because he healed a guy on the Sabbath. How dare you help somebody on the Sabbath? We're supposed to do nothing that day. But anyway, J- Jesus answers them and he says this. He says, my father is working until now and I myself am working. And it says, there, for this reason, therefore, Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Again, they knew exactly what it meant when he was claiming to be God's own son. So, but before we start telling people uh, about what Jesus has accomplished, we need to explain to them who he is. Before we invite people to place their faith in Jesus, they have to understand something about who he is exactly. Who am I, who am I placing my faith in? What, what exactly gives him the right to receive my praise and my faith? Jesus is not just another prophet. He's not simply a good teacher. Jesus isn't just a, a nice guy who came and said happy things. Jesus is God. God incarnate. Jesus is, is the Emmanuel, the God with us. He is the eternal second person of the Trinity. He is the Creator God and the eternal God. And Jesus is fully God, but Jesus is also fully human, right? He took on humanity. He, he humbled Himself. He's the fullest revelation of God to us. And and there's a reason that that God became man. And it it has to do with the next thing that Peter mentions here in verse 3. God's great mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy. Mercy is is defined uh, by not getting what we deserve. So that begs the question, what exactly is it that we deserve? Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve, what we earn, is, is death. And God's warning to Adam and Eve, listen, don't eat from that tree, because if you do, you will surely die. Was, was true. And God is is a holy God and a just God and He's pure and He's perfect. And He he means what He says. It's it's interesting that whenever anybody in in the Bible comes into contact with God, the first thing that they realize is how holy God is and how unholy and sinful they are. God's mercy is closely tied to this concept of God's grace. In Ephesians 2, it says that it's by grace that you've been saved. Grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve. And what, what is it that we don't deserve? We don't deserve forgiveness or salvation or new life. And both God's mercy and God's grace flow from God's love for us. 
right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Peter also mentions this gift of eternal life and new birth. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus was the first one to use that figure of speech of being born again, right? When, when Nicodemus the Pharisee came to Him at night and said, you, clearly you're from God. Nobody could do the things you're doing unless they were from God. He wants to understand how, how, do, how do we get saved? How do we get into the kingdom of heaven? How does this all work? And Jesus explains to him, well, you can't, you can't enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. It's just that easy, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus doesn't understand. He says, I, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think you can be born again once you're born the first time. You won't fit. It's just logistically impossible. It can't happen. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not talking physically reborn. He, he tells Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. What I'm talking about is a spiritual rebirth. And what we see from Peter here is this new birth, this spiritual rebirth is something that is initiated, that is given to us by God. He has caused us to be born again. And God's initiative in our salvation is absolutely essential, right? Because we're dead in sin. We're helpless on our own. But now, because of what God has done, we have a living hope. Oh man, praise God for His amazing gift of salvation to us. And, and so exactly then, how does this holy, perfect, just God just ignore all of our sin? How does He just forgive all of the sin that we do without then being an unjust God? And the answer to that has to do with the work of Jesus. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So our salvation, our spiritual rebirth, our living hope is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It was, it was that sacrifice of Jesus that paid our debt of sin. And, and it was for that very reason that He came. As, as fully God, Jesus came as this perfect, spotless, unblemished sacrifice. And as fully man, Jesus is able to represent us as, as fallen humanity. He was able to be this perfect sacrifice of atonement. Just like Adam, the first Adam, his sin resulted in curse and death. But Jesus, the, the second Adam, his gift results in life and hope. This is why faith in Jesus is the key to our salvation. Because no one else could do what He did. 
All we have to do then is admit our sin, which shouldn't be that hard because I think we already all recognize that we're sinful people. And then accept this free gift of salvation and forgiveness and spiritual birth. And, and, and I don't think any of this is forced on us. I think it's freely given. It's a gift of grace from a God who loves us. And I think that there's this option of choosing to reject it and remain dead in our sins and without hope. Or we can humbly accept this gracious gift from God. And what happens if we do? What, what if we do? Look at verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And when we do, we receive this inheritance in heaven. One that's imperishable, he says. Unlike the things of this world that are super perishable, they're all going to rust and rot and fade away. That's why Peter's going to go on to say, don't put all of your hope and your dreams and the things of this world. You're not even citizens of this world anymore. We're, we're looking ahead towards heaven. And it's, and it's undefiled. Again, over in Revelation, it talks more about what this new heavens and new earth will look like. No more sorrow and no more suffering and no more sickness. It's, it's, it's this view of what it's going to look like to live in a place that's undefiled by the curse of sin. That's our inheritance. That, that's our hope. And this, this promise of heaven is ours it is, it is reserved for us by God and is through faith. Peter says it's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, our salvation is not something that we, that we work for. It's not something that we can earn it's not something that we, that we contribute to in, in, in some way. Again, it's just a gift. All the credit goes to God for our salvation. He's done all the work. Just like Paul says over in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Uh, one of the questions in the uh, growth group study guide last, last week, I think it was, maybe the week before, was do you think that when you become a Christian, you choose Christ, or do you think Christ chooses you? Oh, man, there's a loaded question. Alan wrote that one, not me. Hopefully there were no fistfights that broke out in any of our Bible studies this last week. Theologians have been debating that forever. Been wrestling with that question for a long, long time. And I'm sure that we got it all nailed down in our one-hour-long Bible studies this last week, right? In verse 1 and 2, Peter says that he's writing to these resident aliens scattered throughout this area who are chosen, right? Chosen by God. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then here at verse 3, it says that, that, that God has caused us to be born again. So who does the saving? 
Kind of looks like God does, right? He, he gets the credit for our salvation. God chooses us, right? God absolutely chooses us. It, it says so right here. Do we choose God? Well, kind of. A little bit, right? Sort of. Uh, we have a responsibility in this whole uh, uh, salvation thing. There's some things that we do need to do. We do have to place our faith in Jesus. And that responsibility, it's, it's spelled out by Paul over in that passage in Ephesians. By grace, we've been saved through faith. And then again, those same words here in Peter. Talks about those who are protected by the power of God through faith. Even, even John 3.16 explains that those who believe in the Son will never perish but have everlasting life. It begins with God. Everything begins with God. God, it's God's grace that saves us. We don't have anything to brag about. But we do have this responsibility. Because even the greatest gift is worthless if we refuse to accept it. And so it's through this humble faith that we receive all of these blessings and all of this grace and all of this mercy from this loving God. So let me ask you right now, have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and as God and as Savior? Have you been born again to a living hope? And if not, let me invite you to do that right now, today. This seems like in church is probably a good place to do that. It's not that complicated. In Romans 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So it's, it's this humble recognition of our sin and God's holiness and, and a grateful acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf and then a desire to faithfully follow God our whole lives. If you've never had a chance to have that conversation with God, again, let me invite you to do that right now. Uh, if you'd bow your heads and pray with me. Dear God, hallowed be your name. We recognize, God, that you're a good God. And we recognize that we are sinful, unworthy people. We need your mercy. We need your grace. I thank you, God, for sending your Son, Jesus, to come and suffer and die and pay a penalty for our sin. God, we repent of our sin and we place our faith in You alone. Thank You, God, for causing us to be born again through this living hope and the resurrection of Jesus. We ask, God, that You would forgive us and save us and make us Your own. And God, give us opportunities to share the same gospel, the same good news with others who need to hear it. Again, we thank you and we love you, God.
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.